Those of you who are used to my preaching know that I kind of generally follow a standard format. They, they teach you this and when they teach you giving speeches and all. First you do, you, you tell them what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them. And then you end up by telling them what you told them. And I think that's very, very often a good way uh, to talk to people and to give a sermon because it provides people with a structure to follow uh, and lets them know from the outset where you're going. Um, I'm mentioning this because I'm not going to do that today. Uh, and um, I want you to be able to follow along with me. Uh, so I want you to understand what I'm doing. I'm going to try to take you into the story of today's gospel. I'm going to try to take you back into that gospel story. I'm going to try to fill it out as much as I can with all the historical information that we have about that time. Then I want to make clear what Luke's message is in that gospel, and then, then what that gospel means for us today. So the collect. O Lord, we beseech thee mercifully to receive the prayers of thy people who call upon thee, and grant that they may both perceive and know what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to fulfill the same. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There are many, many places in Scripture where we read something and are absolutely yearning to hear more. The verses seem to skip quickly across the surface of some very profound event, and then all of a sudden the, sh the scene has shifted, and we want to dial the storyline back so we can find out more. The event in the temple courtyard described in today's Gospel is at least for me one of these very tantalizing moments in Scripture. Jesus is talking with the great rabbis of his day. Among them may have been heavy hitters, such as the predecessors of Hillel and Shammai. Rabbi Gamaliel might have been there. He's mentioned in Acts 22.3 as a teacher of St. Paul. Scribes and Pharisees get a lot of bad press in the New Testament, so we need to be clear about the character of these guys to whom, with whom Jesus is speaking. These are men so steeped in God's Word that they can recite much of the Old Testament by heart. They have thought deeply about the meaning of every verse, Sometimes they've thought deeply about the meaning of every word of every verse. They comment on how they believe God's word applies to the lives of the Jewish people. These are holy men who see God's law as a gift to humanity. Obedience to the law is, for them, not a rote ritual act. Obedience amounts to entering a spiritual space that brings one closer to God. 
So it's important to understand that the conversation that Jesus has in the temple was a conversation with men who, like him, were seeking to draw as near as possible to God and to walk in God's ways. Okay, so these are the kind of men holding conversation. But what are they talking about? This is one of these tantalizing things that you don't hear much from the gospel. What are they talking about? Well, historically, there are two good possibilities. One of these is that they're talking about the statutes of Torah, details of the law itself. Now, we couldn't even begin to guess which statutes and which details, but to give you just a flavor for what this kind of talk would have been like, let me give you just a few examples, only three, from the Mishnah, which is a collection and arrangement of rabbinic opinion that started to get written down about 100 years after Jesus' death. Here's the first example. The Shema is Israel's great declaration of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, the Shema was to be said twice a day, morning and evening. But here's the discussion. Starting at what time in the morning is it acceptable to say the Shema? And then the discussion proceeds, starting at what time in the evening is it acceptable to say the Shema? Here's another. On the Sabbath, it's a general rule that no work could be done. Here's the question. Can already cooked food and or hot water be put on a heated stove? Does it matter how the stove has been heated? Can these things be taken off the stove once they've been put on? And if they've been taken off the stove, can they be put back on? Last example. The temple altar is said to make holy whatever is prescribed for sacrifice. Here's the issue. Can anything that goes up to the altar for sacrifice come back down from it? Can anything that goes up to the altar for sacrifice come back down? Yes or no? Well, there was difference of opinion on that. But if the answer is yes, then there's more difference of opinion about what kinds of sacrifices can come down and what kinds of sacrifices can't. Now, we need to suppose that even as a young man of age 12, Jesus was very good at answering and talking about these kinds of questions. We have to suppose that because if he hadn't been very good at it, he would have been tossed from the discussion. This was serious study these men were doing. It was not a place for somebody who couldn't hold his own. But here's the next question. From what we know about Jesus, from what we know about him, how interested do you think he likely was in these kinds of conversations. 
How interested do you think he likely was in this sort of stuff? Well, I think the right answer is, anybody guess? Not very. Who said that? Christine. Genius. Thank you. Uh, not very. We know particularly from the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus deeply respected the Torah. But we also know, particularly from Matthew, that he thought that the 600, 600 plus specific commandments really came down to two, two great commandments. Love God, love each other. From these, these two, for Jesus, these two commandments were the point of all of the others. And the others were useful only if they helped the person understand the point and live it out. Jesus was definitely not a guy concerned about splitting hairs so long as a path to God was open. But here's the next question. If he was not sitting for hours because he relished conversations of this sort, why was he sitting there? What grabbed his attention that day? Why did he stick around? Here's where the second good historical possibility uh, of what these guys were discussing comes into play. In addition to the law, the other thing that likely was being talked about in this meeting was the Messiah. Times in Israel were horrible under Roman op op occupation, grinding poverty and brutality. These were the stuff of everyday life. In the time of Jesus, there was widespread belief, widespread belief that God would soon be sending a Messiah to rescue his people from this awful oppression, a Messiah who would make things better for Israel. The good people would come to be in charge, and they would build a land where justice and mercy would prevail. Rabbis and common people in Jesus' time debated just what kind of a Messiah was going to accomplish these things. A kingly Messiah? a priestly messiah, two messiahs, a priest messiah and a king messiah. Opinions differed on the specifics, but everyone agreed on two points. A messiah would come, and he would make things better. From what we know about Jesus, it is very easy to guess that it was the talk about the messiah that grabbed his attention and kept him in conversation. Church fathers such as Jerome and John of Damascus teach us that the divinity that Jesus had from all eternity educated his humanity, educated his humanity, or emerged from his humanity in stages. Growing up and maturing in wisdom and stature as is said in the gospel, is an essential part of what it means to be fully human, which Jesus certainly was. That day in the temple, 
this talk about the Messiah surely fit with something Jesus knew about himself. I think he pretty much tells us this when he says to Mary and Joseph with such force and such certainty that he had to be in his father's house. He had to be in his father's house because of the work he needed to do in and for that house was to be its Messiah. Judea had kings, the temple had priests, but as yet Israel had no Messiah. On this day in the temple court, Jesus announces to his earthly parents part of his God-given mission. He is on earth to save all humanity. He is on earth to work a transformation of hearts so that love for God and love for others guides and rules everything that goes on. But in giving this story, Luke is not just recording history, although we can be pretty sure he's doing just that. He's trying to drive home a point that touches you and me and our lives today. The point is that, like Jesus, we all journey to God's temple. By his grace and to our continuing amazement, we are sitting in the temple God has given Holy Trinity on French Hill. We journey to this place every Sunday because in the words of the collect, we seek to perceive and to know what things we ought to do to serve God. We seek to perceive and to know these things collectively as the body of Christ and as individual members of the body. Now, God surely does not need another Messiah. Jesus filled that job description 2,000 years ago. But the Lord has for each of us, each of us who enters into this place, for each of us, a specific mission, a specific call that he wants us to answer. Start to finish, the Gospels leave no room for doubt about this. Because of this, it's vital for each of us to take time, each and every day, and to ask the Lord what our mission is. It may be a mission that has outward trappings, a ministry leader, a church council member, a warden, a deacon, even a priest. But outward trappings or not, outward trappings or not, God has some task for each one of us, calling us to represent him to particular people at a particular place in a particular time. There will be someone, there will be someone for each of us in the week ahead where our mission will be to show forth the love of Jesus Christ. There will be, and there's no doubt about it, God will put such a person in front of our noses. What's open to question is only how the love of Christ 
is to be shown to that person in that time. It might be love displayed in meeting someone's material needs. It might be extra kindness shown with warmth and with a smile. It might be saying something about our faith as a Christian that we're able to teach. It might be just providing a silent presence when the most important thing for someone is to know that they're not alone in the world. God has jobs for each of us. In fact, he has new jobs for each of us all the time. If we don't know what jobs he had for us, has for us, we must ask, we must pray, we must listen, we must watch, and we must do all of these things regularly and deliberately. It's through you and me that Jesus walks in the world in which we live. It's through you and me that he touches those places that need his love and his healing. Jesus left the temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago completely clear about what God wanted him to do. You and I cannot leave this temple of ours on any Sunday without asking, Lord, what would you have me do? And that question, sincerely asked, will get an answer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.